you're going to get a little bit of all of us. <laughs> uh, what we're going to do is each of us are going to talk a little bit about taking the teachings and the practices and the Dharma into our life and how to integrate that more fully. And as we each speak, we will hopefully weave a um, helpful story to help you with this process of leaving here tomorrow. So I'm going to begin. And I wanted to talk a little bit about um, sensitivity and your sensitivity. Perhaps you've noticed (laughs) over these last couple of days um, some of you broke silence on Wednesday today's Friday some of you broke silence yesterday but you can see how really open and sensitive you are um, what it's like to come into contact with the other to be moving more quickly to be more active And also your energy, uh, the kind of energy you have with that. And usually what people find, and perhaps you found this as well, is that you actually have a lot of energy. And so when you, it's easy, really, you can talk for long periods of time and you feel very kind of intoxicated and happy a lot of the time. But also, you may also feel times where you feel very tired and very exhausted and almost at times like you actually have a hangover. And uh, so there's a way that we can feel um, somewhat intoxicated by the pleasure of this openness, of this sensitivity. It's wonderful. It's wonderful when the heart is so open, when we feel so kind of purified, we feel clean. Retreat is very much like that. It's a very, it's almost like sometimes I think of, you know, if we could put ourselves in a washing machine, you know, there's a way we feel kind of cleaned out from the inside and it's a very wonderful feeling. And yet we also have to be a little bit aware of the intoxication and the way that it can pull us, it can pull us out into the pleasure of the senses of the world. And we have to be somewhat watchful of how we get pulled out and also know that we need to go back in. And that's what we've been encouraging you uh, over these days, is just come out, but also go back in. And this will need to continue. Usually retreats are mirrored for about, I would say, like this retreat, if you were here for 60 days, it may be about 60 days when you start, you know, that you'll need to really monitor yourselves as you go back into the world. 30 days, for those of you in 30 days, I find for a 10-day retreat, it's about 10 days. And so you may be watchful of that, of the need to really, when you come out, also to go back in. Because truly, we, as Naomi Shihab Nye says, we are trying to remember something too important to forget. And I want to read her poem, and that's probably all I'm going to have time for. (laughs) Um, But this is my favorite end of the retreat poem. And some of you have probably heard this, um, but I think it's such a lovely uh, remembering for us as we move back into the world. Called The Art of Disappearing. When they say, don't I know you, say no. When they invite you to the party, remember what parties are like before answering. (laughs) Someone telling you in a loud voice they once wrote a poem. Greasy sausage balls on a paper plate, then reply. If they say, we should get together, say why. (laughs) It's not that you don't love them anymore. You're trying to remember something too important to forget. Trees, the monastery bell at twilight. Tell them you have a new project. It will never be finished. (laughs) When someone recognizes you in a grocery store, nod briefly and become a cabbage. (laughs) 
when someone you haven't seen in 10 years appears at the door, don't start singing him all your new songs. You will never catch up. Walk around feeling like a leaf. Know you could tumble any second. Then decide what to do with your time. And this is what we've been practicing, really feeling deeply how everything tumbles. Know you can tumble in any second. Then decide what to do with your time. And so this moving back and forth from activity to stillness, speaking to the silence, this is really an art for us the art that we are practicing as well as we move back into the world, really remembering the importance of that moving back to ourselves again, because the culture is not going to support that. The, uh, this is the last thing I'm going to say, and I know my time is up. It's kind of like being on a talk show or something. <laughs> <laughs> The greatest symbol, I, 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 I talk about this wherever I go, all over, when I teach in other places in the world. We have this great symbol of the 21st century here at Spirit Rock because when you leave the retreat and pull out on Sir Francis Drake, you immediately have to go 60 miles an hour. <laughs> it's not like you can, you know, sort of feel the, you know, feet, your foot on the accelerator and the, the, the feel of the steering wheel in your hand and kind of watch the speedometer and, oh, isn't that interesting? You have, to get, <laughs> you have to get up to speed very quickly. So it's, that's what's going to happen. You're going to need to get up to speed very quickly. So this remembering, the remembering of this art of moving out and moving in, moving out and moving in. And remembering, eventually remembering that which is too important to forget. Thank you. Earlier this evening, as we were sitting around uh, deciding what parts we would like to uh, sort of impart to you this evening, uh, the first thing that came to my mind was pause. And uh, one of the things I do love is to pause, the pregnant <laughs> pause. So I thought, well, maybe I should just pause for five minutes. <laughs> and then if you could use that, though, in some way, as you go out into the world, that you do have the, this power. And it is a power that's highly trained in you at this point, but easily forgotten. So I just I put that in there because I, it's, it's uh, something that uh, it can be uh, one of your great friends, is that uh, pregnant pause. Uh, the other piece I, I wanted to speak about in the sense of walking out uh, that 60 mile an hour uh, catching up there is about the body itself. And uh, one, of the, one of the greatest teachings, I think, that, that has held me for so many years was uh, one of my teachers, S.N. Goenka, saying, well, if you just keep your mind in your body, you'll be all right. <laughs> Uh, a wonderful teaching uh, in the sense that uh, this is, again, there's this practice that has to be there, the remembering. And you saw this afternoon when the energy gets so high, w w what happens? Uh, in a sense, we disembody uh, for a period of time. And uh, certainly that's part of that is natural, but uh, there is also this practicing of remembering. And to find some place we can use the breath, we can use... Uh, uh, you know, teachers have been teaching about the horror of just putting the attention there and uh, learning to simply, uh, in a sense that the mind, uh, it moves, what, faster than the speed of light. And the body's this hormonal chemical process that 
uh, we can, uh, this is repetitive, we can stop and kind of uh, notice what it is. Uh, where are you? I have this sort of anchor, this uh, reference point that uh, you can train yourself in the marketplace. So, good luck. <laughs> <laughs> If you um, think that you've got anything from the retreat, then uh, remember that uh, one of the descriptions of an enlightened person is that she, he um, has nothing. So if you lose something or something changes or disappears, um, you don't hold on to it the state you're in, or the clarity of mindfulness, or the calm, or whatever. Um, don't be distressed about it going, because maybe in the end it's better to have nothing. You might think about that. It might take the sting out of some of the, what happens as you leave here. The, um, you know, I, I obviously put a lot of value on the opportunity to practice on retreats and um, say, teach them and encourage people to go on them. But I, I, I like to say that um, more important than going on retreat perhaps is uh, sitting every day at home, a daily sitting practice. And if someone asks me, you know, what's, what, what should I do? Should I just go on a, one long retreat and be done with it? Or should I sit, you know, or, you know, I could only do one or the other. What should I do? One long retreat in my, in my life, or should I just sit every day? I would say, oh, just sit every day. It's, um, in some ways, I think it's more profound in the long term. And uh, the analogy that I like is if you go to Hawaii, you get this torrential downpour. When I first got there, I would run for cover. But I soon lear- learned that you didn't have to because a few minutes later, the sun would come out and it would dry you out. So you just walk through the rain. It doesn't matter. And, um, but where I grew up, in the town I grew up, it was always misty and rainy and foggy. And if you walk through uh, the town without a raincoat or anything, um, the mist and the kind of light drizzle would slowly saturate your, your, your clothes. And it took a long time in the cold climate to dry out, to just be really saturated. Going on retreats kind of like going to Hawaii and getting drenched. And sitting every day is kind of like the slow accumulation of something kind of seeps into your clothes, into your bones, into your muscles. And you might not notice day to day the difference, but in some ways, if you keep it up every day, it's more enduring and it builds over time. And, um, and, you, and you do it in all circumstances of your life, whether you're having a good time or a bad time in your life or ups and downs. And you just keep sitting through it all. Then uh, your whole life gets a chance to be processed, digested through the experience of um, mindfulness, of meditation. And it's very helpful to kind of have everything go through it, uh, uh, even that with, that's what you don't want to have to look at. So sitting every day is really a great thing to do, really wonderful. Um, and, um, and what I think is more important than sitting every day <laughs> is to spend some time every day reflecting on your deepest intention. And uh, our intentions are so valuable and important, and it's so easy to lose touch with our deepest intentions or to be several steps away from them. But to actually come back and what is my deepest intention? And to do it as a reflection uh, on a daily basis, I found it's very interesting to watch how it shifts over time. And um, it changes and morphs and keep asking that question. And then one day you wake up and What's my deep intention? You explore it, maybe you journal about it, and you find that suddenly it goes to a deeper level. And you find, oh, 
Look at that. And then if you have, if you have in touch with your deepest intention, then you can uh, uh, ask yourself, what is it that expresses that, or what lives with that, or what's in harmony with that? But if you don't ask that question, what's your deepest intention, it's very easy to live on all kinds of other intentions, more superficial ones perhaps, or ones that rather you, you know, wish you didn't live by even. But to kind of reconnect to that deepest intention, whether it's sitting, sipping uh, tea, looking out the window and reflecting a little bit, or whether it's going for a little walk, or whether it's at the end or the beginning of a sitting, or it doesn't have to be a big reflection, but somehow to, to connect to your deepest intention. And sometimes there can be support for that. There can be like sitting with, a, sitting with other people, uh, listening to Dharma talks, reading a Dharma book, for, for example, or something, that, um, that, uh, or looking at a picture, of, uh, something that inspires you. So something kind of reminds you of that place in your heart that um, perhaps you value as most precious, and then see how you can live from that. And if your deepest intention is not supported by sitting, then maybe chuck it. What Gil was just saying about intention, um, I wasn't going to bring this in tonight, but it reminded me of um, one of the teachings Krishnamurti gave at one point, where he said, um, go outside and just pick out a stone from somewhere around your house, and to bring it in and put it somewhere in your living room, maybe. And when you go through your living room, or maybe once a day, just spend a couple of minutes just paying attention to the stone. And then he said, in a month, it will become a sacred stone. And what made me think of that, really, is that when we're paying, when we're really asking that question, what really matters, we begin to pay attention, and our attention deepens. And really, the deepening of attention reveals what's sacred, what we cherish. And I wanted to speak a bit about um, the third jewel of refuge in Sangha, because for all of us, really, the Dharma comes alive in how we're relating to our world. That's, that's That's where it flowers, that's where its fragrance is. And it can be, um, we can find on retreat at times when our attention's deepened and there's that sense of the sacred that we're, wherever we look, there's, there's this feeling of offering blessings. It's like everybody we see in some way, it's, may you be happy. And then we also know how at retreat when we're feeling, in, when we're caught and stuck, we kind of close down and certainly in daily life. In fact, we leave here, and um, there's such a strong aspiration for staying open, staying connected. And there's also some concern, because we know we inevitably open and close and open and close. And it's really hard in daily life. So sometimes it can feel like a self on a spiritual path trying to free a self, and the world out there is kind of an interference or a distraction or an imposition. I know in uh, one issue of Tricycle there was something called the Buddhist Personals, and it went tall, dark, handsome Buddhist looking for himself. (laughs) (laughs) And I love that. (laughs) So Thich Nhat Hanh, many of you have heard this, really says that in the West the Buddha is the Sangha. And it's in a sense we get very caught in this experience of being an individual trying to be liberated, and we're practicing hard. And in a sense, it obscures the truth of our belonging, and that as we bring attention 
into the relational field, as we really pay attention, what we discover is radical, which is non-separation. We really experience the belonging. It cuts through that, that selfness in a beautiful way. So, so when we go home, and for each of us we have a different sense of what our sangha is, it can be in an informal way, that we just have that intention to bring more presence to whoever we're with, to our family, to our friends. For some it might be more formal in the sense of uh, kalyanamitta groups, spiritual friends groups. Just out of curiosity, how many of you are involved in a spiritual, in a KM group? Can I see my hands? Yeah, a good number. It's interesting. If, if it's not in your area, um, just even having one or two or three people to sit with so that there's people that you can share in a very real and vulnerable way, how is this unfolding? So there are people that can be mirrors of goodness, as we've been talking about, where there's a real conscious intention to practice speaking in a way where you do pause and that there's an invitation to come back inside and connect, and where there's an intention to listen deeply. It's so rare, and as when we practiced here, it's so sweet. It really reveals a, a truth that's, that's who we are, a shared kind of experience of heart. Briefly, one of my, this is one of my favorite stories, is of a um, Bektashi dervish who was known far and wide for his wisdom and his virtue. And he would hold forth in a coffee house and people would come around and one of the questions he'd get regularly is, um, how did you become so holy? You know, what made you so holy? And his response invariably was, I know what is in the Quran. And one day, a kind of arrogant newcomer said, well, all right, what gives? What's in the Quran? (laughs) And his response was, after he paused and looked on the guy kindly, but he said, in the Quran are two pressed flowers and a letter from my friend Abdullah. (laughs) So the Buddha said that, really, good friends are the whole of this holy life. Because the, whole, the word metta and friend, friendliness, this, it's one of the ma- main meanings. Sometimes we just use the word lightly, but just to imagine if, if right at the center of our intentionality was to bring a friendly quality of attention to our inner life and to all beings that we saw, just as with that stone, to really to look in a way that we actually begin to see the sacred in each being. What a world. So just to say, I, I want to just take a moment to honor the Sangha that's here, because I think as each of us is sensing more and more deeply, it's really that um, community of trust and respect and care that that's created a container for for the sacred to be unfolded here. So I bow to that. I bow to each of you. Thank you. What Tara said is a good segue into the piece I want to share with you tonight. When the Lama came, I had to surrender my talk that night. It seemed like the right thing to do, and the talk you would have heard (laughs) had within it a really... uh, a beautiful story that I want to share with you, and it's uh, the talk would have been titled Love and Fear. 
as we leave retreat, um, we are going back into a world that at times seems quite uh, hell-bent on destroying itself these days. It's a world in which um, it is often not clear how to respond to all that is occurring. So I want to share with you something that was written um, shortly after September 11th, several years ago, uh, a piece written by a woman who lives in Santa Cruz. Her name is Yale Lachman, and um, it was in a Santa Cruz newspaper, and it's called Love and Fear. I was up in the mountains last week. Tuesday morning, just after dawn, I crawled out of my tent and ran smack into a ranger whose job that morning was to whisper the news from New York and D.C. When he had finished, we looked at each other for a long, helpless moment. There are moments in your life when the world splits open and forces you to decide what is most important to you and what you are going to do about it. My mind ran through all the scenarios taking place back in the city. Fear, hysteria, crackling over the airwaves, calls for retaliation, a declaration of war complete with nuclear warheads, biological weapons, and unthinkable devastation. Then something made me stop and look. Right in front of me, a marmot sat on a rock in the river. The real world grabbed my attention and demanded to know what I was going to do. By everything that is holy, what was being asked of me? Standing by that river, I thought, I love this world so much. And everything I love is fragile and vulnerable. This river, this marmot, the fish, this rock. I don't know how to fight. All I know how to do is love this world. I scrambled around in my mind for inspiration, for an image of someone wise who had lived through a war and who could tell me who I was supposed to become in these desperate days. I was expecting a freedom fighter, maybe, someone with a gun. Instead, the person who sprang to mind was Chiora Obata, the Japanese-American painter who fell in love with Yosemite and the High Sierra. He appeared to me looking exactly as he does in a photograph from 1942, taken at the Tanferan Detention Center. In the photograph, Obata is calm and smiling, teaching a bunch of children to paint. Of all the things to do, there's a war on, your people have been rounded up like cattle, and there you are playing with a paintbrush. I blinked, hoping to conjure up a more martial role model this time, but Obata stubbornly remained. He sat before me as I sat on a rock, watching patiently as I struggled to comprehend. Then all of a sudden I got it. Obata wasn't teaching those kids how to paint. He was teaching them how to love. Day after day, right through the barbed wire fence, Obata showed those children how to see beauty, how to keep their hearts open. He knew that when evil and destruction arrive, we must not stop loving the world. We must act on behalf of that enormous love. What America has just learned very painfully is that we have not loved enough. We have cringed at gruesome wire service photos and turned our backs on the suffering of the world. We have allowed our own government to bomb civilians, withhold medical supplies, and sell weapons to brutal thugs in every part of the globe. Through our own ignorance, we have helped create a world where desperate people will gladly sign up to be messengers of death. And now that death and destruction have reached our own shores, we must decide how we are going to respond, with love or with fear. 
The whole world is holding its breath, waiting to see which one we will choose. Which will it be, love or fear? If you choose love, then you must sit down and ask yourself what if you've been put on this earth to love and how you can let this great love grow bigger than you ever imagined. There are people who will try to tell you that love is a luxury and that life in all its miraculous beauty is less urgent right now than the need to retaliate. I am here to tell you that unless we respond with love, we will certainly hand evil its great and final victory. Please, right now, go out and plant yourself in the middle of that which you love the most, the thing within you that is most alive. Then listen carefully, because as that love cracks your heart open, it will tell you exactly what this broken world needs from you. This is your holy work and it cannot wait. So we have learned in this time together a great deal about how to love, how to love ourselves, how to love this life, how to love each other, how to love the world. It's no different out here than it is right here. It's no different out there than it is right here. This quality of undivided attention that we've been learning to bring is love. This quality of allowing space for ourselves, allowing space for another to be heard is love. All the ways that we have practiced here in your work meditation, in your sitting, in your walking, in your being with each other is love. It's been a great pleasure to be with you and I look forward to our paths crossing again. I need to say goodbye to you tonight because tomorrow morning I leave for the airport. Um, I will be one of those people that Gil spoke about wandering through the airport um, <laughs> tomorrow morning as you are doing your closing here. In uh, five days I leave for Kyoto and I need to go home and pack. So I apologize for not being with you tomorrow, but I want to say what a pleasure and uh, great honor it is to have been here with you. Thank you. Yes, Anna is going to be um, traveling through Kyoto at cherry blossom time in the spring, visiting Zen gardens and temples and in a few days. It's wonderful. And each of you have your own gardens or fields or rows to hoe or whatever it is you're going to go back to. Um, a few more simple words. First, a story. I heard the story of a school principal who spent part of her evenings making sandwiches for the homeless. After she finished, she would travel around the poorer parts of the city and distribute them. Even though her day was already full, this night activity didn't overwhelm her, it made her happy. She didn't do it out of guilt or duty or some external pressure. She knew herself and shared openly and freely in the way that made a difference for her. And whether she was rebuffed by those to whom she offered food on the streets or not, she didn't feel rejected or angry because she wasn't doing it for the reward of someone's acceptance or appreciation. The media found out about her and printed a story about her work. 
Instantly her reputation grew and she became a minor celebrity. The public, even her fellow teachers, started sending her money to support her ministry. Much to their surprise, she sent back the money to everyone with a one-line note that said, make your own damn sandwiches. <laughs> when you learn to paint, when you learn to be an artist, one of the things that it's common to do is to copy the paintings of masters and great paintings of the past, to learn color and form and the possibilities. But if that's all that you did in your painting, it would be a sad thing because you're not them. And even if you made an exceptionally good copy, it still wouldn't be what they did because that's not really what's given to us. And in the same way in spiritual practice, there are the trainings and disciplines and the beautiful things that John talked about of dana and generosity is a practice in the medicine pouch of virtue and compassion for all beings non-harming in the medicine pouch, of quieting the mind in meditation, of loving kindness, and so forth. But you've got to find your own way to do it. And it can't be by imitation. It's really an art and not a science. And nobody has lived your life before. And if Gill says you should sit every day, and then later on says, unless, of course, it doesn't fit your deepest intention. <laughs> he means it. <laughs> um, it can't, in the end, be done by imitation. There is no one who has ever been like you before on the face of the earth with these billions of people, nor will there be again. And you have the opportunity and the privilege and the responsibility to be true to yourself, to your deepest intention, to make your own damn sandwiches, to serve and to bring forth the Dharma in your way, which is not an imitation, but which is really genuine. So that. And then as Anna's really wonderful story points to, um, a big practice of in leaving, you know, concentration will go and stillness will go and memories even of what you've had will start to fade in some way. And the more that you cling to it, the more you'll suffer. When you sit in your daily meditation, the additional instruction I would add is to not be idealistic. In other words, you put your ass on the cushion and you take what you get. Right? And sometimes it's busy, and sometimes you're falling asleep, and sometimes you're restless, and sometimes you're making lists, and sometimes you're crossing off lists, you know. And you just do it. And then your body remembers, oh, there is this other way to be. Um, if you remember anything as you leave, um, it's really this place of love that Anna spoke of that doesn't judge the world but that loves the world and loves every being that you meet. Use your metta in the airport, you know, and as you drive and in line in the supermarket, and especially with yourself, most of us could well do a year of metta for ourselves as a good spiritual practice. Then you could move on to the insects around your house and certain people you know. And over the decade, you could slowly expand it. Um, <laughs> poem. And it really talks about praying, but I'm not sure that there's a prayer that I found that's more sweet and beautiful than the metta that we've done together, the prayer of love. Pray to whomever you kneel down to, Jesus nailed to his wooden or marble or plastic cross, his suffering face bent to kiss yours. Buddha still under the Bodhi tree, in the scorching Indian heat. Adonai, Allah, raise your arm to Mary that she may place her palm on your brows. To Shekinah, queen of heaven and earth, to Inanna in her stripped descent, hawk or wolf or the great whale 
or the African elders. Pray, bow down to terriers and shepherds and Siamese cats. Pray to the bus driver who takes you to work. Pray for everyone riding that bus and for everyone riding buses all over the world. And if you haven't been on a bus in a long time, climb the few steps, drop some silver, and pray. Waiting in line for the movies, for the ATM, offer your plea. Make your slicing of carrots a holy act, each translucent layer of the onion a deeper prayer. Make the brushing of your hair a prayer, every strand its own voice singing in the choir on your head. Making love, of course, is already a prayer, skin and open mouths worshiping that skin, each caress a season of peace. If you're hungry, pray. If you're tired, pray to Gandhi and Dorothy Day and Shakespeare, Sappho and Sojourner Truth. Pray to the angels and the ghosts of your grandmothers. When you walk to your car, to the mailbox, to the video store, let each step be a prayer. If you're riding a bicycle, a truck, a skateboard, a wheelchair, let each revolution of the wheels be a prayer that as the earth revolves, we will do less harm and love the earth more. With each breath in, take in the faith of those who have believed when belief seemed foolish. With each breath out, cherish. Pull weeds for peace. Turn over in your sleep for peace. Feed the birds for peace. Wash your dishes, call your mother, drink wine with a prayer. Shovel leaves or snow or trash from your sidewalk. Make life a holy path. Fold a photo of a forgotten child around your visa card. Scoop your prayer water from the gutter, the rivers, the faucet. Mumble along like a crazy person, dancing and stumbling and shouting your prayers through the streets so everyone can hear you. such a beautiful thing to be able to go out from the temple back to the marketplace and carry the blessings with you. Find your way to do it. Some of you it will be in the cave. Some of you will be in the middle of the stock exchange. Some of it will be as a teacher. Some as a gardener. Some as a healer, an artist. You'll find your way. Be true to your heart and bring your prayers. Thank you. No, this is fine. Um, He's humble. I'm <laughs> uh, <and> tall. <laughs> He's tall and humble. <laughs> Um, I, too, would like to uh, read a little verse this evening as a way of completing and also as a way of uh, carrying on. This is called um, The Qigong of Radiant Wonder. In silent, radiant wonder, stillness becomes motion, and motion, movement, becomes stillness. Soft and serene along the core of brilliant light, luminous clarity becomes you. From the center of the heart along the rays of pulsing liquid fire, recognition flows out in every direction to meet itself as the essence of love, kindness, joy, and every fine quality that brings balance and equanimity into being. The radiant fire of love is so gentle that even a single snowflake can land and be enhanced by its light as it transforms from nature to essential nature, so all-pervasive that it spins the spiral galaxies throughout the vast eternal space, always one, indivisible. As the center, 
you are at once infinitely small and endlessly infinite. Present, fresh awareness, you are the sparkling dew in the moonlight and the ocean of stars. Illumination unfolds with the song of birds and frogs attuning to the water's flow over earthen stone. Who breathes this radiant breath through hands and feet and stands inside the healing flow of rainbow fountains? Resting, resting in the pearl lanterns strung along the spiraling cords of silver, blue, white, and gold extending from the heart of the earth to the heart of heaven, forever flowing streams, meeting in my heart, your heart, all hearts. Now the golden dragon dances through space and balances on the floating bridge of heaven, and the golden ball moves through the eight actions in empty forms, healing, nourishing, and vitalizing. Illumination shines from within as the river of peace flows in the land of infinite wordless blessings. In the stillness, the wings of the dragonfly glitter with a thousand worlds of miraculous light. Shapes and colors dissolve every illusion into the essential nature of being, like ice to water, and water to mist. The body being emptiness, like a hollow reed, open arms embrace the one. From what is out and what is in, there is no difference. Though thousands of appearances arise and disappear, there has been no other. Only silence speaks the supreme word and only illumination gives the true response. The white crane dreams of flight and cools its wings in the morning mist. The way of effortless action and ease of being opens before you. My radiant ones, hearts of pure light, awaken fearless in the night. Remembering the wisdom that is contentless, bright, and the warm, compassionate heart of light. Share your love with all beings, in all worlds, in all times. Dissolve all suffering and every illusion into the essential nature, luminous, clear light. Like ice to water, and water to So what you get tonight is a little bit like jazz. <laughs> yes. You know, different musical pieces. And um, it's pretty obvious what an eccentric crew we are, um, which is a good thing, because it immediately makes it obvious that you belong. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> exactly. That the, if the Dharma has room for this motley crew, you know, we're all in it, and it's wonderful. It's in this like way. this. It's like this. <laughs> yeah. So it's been a long day with um, a lot of talking for many of you, and the ups and downs of that, and so forth. Um, we have. We'll take a break in a moment for walking practice. And then we'll do a sitting without chanting from 9 to 9.30, just silence again to bring back that stillness connection, body, heart, and mind, invite you to sit. Really request that you again come back and honor the silence here in the residence halls and so forth, mostly for the, for the sake of your nervous system 
and that of everyone around you. It really helps to go in and out, as we've talked about, let things settle down and get digested. And tomorrow morning, everyone's looked at the schedule, um, changed a little bit. I have a, a couple of announcements. Who's the wake-up bell ringer? Could you please ring the wake-up bell at 5.30 tomorrow morning? So wake-up will be 5.30 tomorrow morning. And then the sitting in here will be um, at 9 o'clock. Who's the 8.30 bell ringer generally for sitting? So would you ring the bell at 5 of 9, something like that? And we'll come in here for a sitting for about half an hour till 9.30 and then have our closing uh, rituals and ceremony and so forth. Any questions kind of about the schedule, administrative kind of things? Yes? Who's going to ring the bell when? And not we'll be in here. Okay. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll do that tomorrow. Oh, tonight. Oh, at 9.30 tonight. Hmm. You. Thank you. Thank you for that. Yeah, how wonderful. Offering. Anything else of that nature? Are you tired? Yeah, so respect that. Come back to silence and sleep well. And uh, thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.